Lights up for us. We're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, let's thank the band real quick, if you don't mind. And John chapter 1 will be home base for us tonight. We're into a series uh, on uh, different kinds of relationships that God has given us uh, and how all of those, all the relationships that we have and all the different connections we have with people are this reflection of God himself. And by looking at how God exists as a community of relationships and realizing that we were made in that image, it helps us know the, the beauty and the fullness that's possible in all the different kinds of connections we have with people. Um, and so if... If you are a podcaster, we had the last couple of weeks up on iTunes and stuff, and I'll kind of recap a little bit as we go. But now we're, we're kind of shifting into uh, a run of different kinds of horizontal relationships that we have with, with like human-to-human you know, contact and connections with people. And, and tonight I want us to look just for a few minutes at, uh, at a group of, of humans that we have relationships with. Uh, that might be a little bit, might feel a little bit strange, um, because you never know who's in a room like this. And so uh, I hope that we have all kinds of people always coming into this place. Uh, but really, in, in terms of tonight's sermon, you can kind of think of people in one of, two, one of two ways. There are people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and there are people who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to, you know, get into all that stuff. I know that, uh, when you, if you grow up in church, there's like certain terms that, you know, come along with that. And, uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and there was a lot of talk all the time about lost people, you know, where I love the lost people and like, oh, that person, oh, well, you know, he's lost. So, you know, that kind of stuff. And I always felt really like insulting to them, especially when you bring them to church with you and the preacher gets up and talks about going to save all the lost people, you know? And so if you're, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be weird about that. I'm just trying to acknowledge the fact that within church, there's all this uh, vernacular that we're so used to and this terminology that's real familiar, but, but we don't always stop to think about what we're saying and who we're saying it to. And so right out, out the bat, there are two kinds of people, people who know Jesus and people who do not know Jesus. And I hope that there are people in this room who do not know Jesus. That would be a tremendous thing to be the kind of church that is like where God is just bringing people in to hear the truth that we've been singing about, that we were praying about, that we're about to read about in the Bible. Um, and so if you are a person who's here tonight that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I hope that you know that by the end of this, maybe you will have a little bit more information to work with. And I don't mean to insult anyone. We're being sensitive about that to anyone, but that's the reality of what the Bible teaches us. There's going to be two kinds of people at the end of it, and, and we are, uh, as a group of gathered Christians, we have connections with people who don't know Jesus. And so if you're in this room and you do know Jesus, what, what is that relationship supposed to look like with someone who does not know the Lord? The sermon is going to be geared toward people who are Christians, who are active followers of Jesus, 
And so if you are not an active follower of Jesus, please listen closely to all the things that we're going to say, or that I'm going to say. We aren't going to say it. I'm going to say it uh, here in the next couple of minutes. But I'm talking to people who are followers of Jesus, and, and the, the big question is, how are we supposed to connect with and relate to people who do not know the Lord? If the most important thing about us is our relationship with God, if that is what we were created for, people say, what's the meaning of life? You're like, this is what it is, to know Jesus. That's the whole point. When there are people who disagree with that or do not know about that or have questions about that or whatever that might look like, how, what is our relationship and our connection supposed to look like with them? Um, and, and, and where do we even begin with that? Well, all semester long, you're going to hear me say, we're going to always look back at the original. We're always going to look back at who, like, who is the model for what these relationships are supposed to look like. It's always going to be the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's always going to be the Lord. And so John chapter 1 kind of helps set up some of those ideas. So let's just start at the beginning for you know, continuity's sake. Uh, John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I'm sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so capital W. That, there's a, I'm going to just, for the sake of time, you just need to trust me. That that capital W word there is talking about Jesus. This whole first chapter is talking about Jesus. And so it says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Um, a part of what everything is based on in this series and in all of life is the fact that our God is a community of relationships. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Fully and equally God, each of them, and they have existed from the beginning of time. That Jesus didn't show up at Christmas time for the first time. That He has always been there. The Spirit has always been there. The Father has always been there, all the way from the beginning. And so that's a part of what this verse is communicating to us: is that Jesus was with God, with Father, Son, Spirit as one God, and He was Himself God and is Himself God, uh, all the way from the beginning of time. So look at verse two. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That within the, within the Father-Son-Spirit relationship that has been labeled the Trinity, within those three, they each play different roles. They're equally God, but then they each kind of do different things. And this is where we see that Jesus' role in that was that he was the one who, who created all the things that are around us. He created the universe, he created the earth, he created the water, and the, the air, and the birds, and the elephants, and the people, and everything was done by him. That was his role. The spirit had a different role, the father had a different role. They're all working together. And so you have this perfectly equal uh, godship that exists between the three of them, and because of that equality, they're saying, cool, we'll do, uh, this is the big plan, and then who's going to do what? Well, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. There's no competition, there's no arrogance, there's no, uh, no one dropping the ball, there's no betrayal, there's no side conversations about the third one, there's none of that stuff going on. It's all this perfect community of relationships. And so we were made in that image, so we were created to have this perfect community of relationships. Where there's equality, and there's goodness, and there's support for one another, and there's honesty, and there's all these things that exist among us, that's the ideal but it got messed up because sin entered the picture and everything got fractured and broken. 
And so we're broken between one another in our relationships. We're broken internally in our own securities and stuff. We're broken in our relationship with God. We're broken in our relationship with creation. I mean, everything around us is busted and broken. And, and we're in this situation where we just needed, we needed divine intervention for anything to ever change. And so when you look around, you're like, wow, well, why does this happen? And why does this happen? Why does this happen? The easiest answer, it's not easy, but it's the simplest maybe, is that the world's broken. Why do communities, entire communities, why do 150,000 homes get flooded? Well, the earth is broken. Why do, why do people murder each other? Like, why does racism exist? And why does this exist? And why is this so bad? It's like, well, because we're broken between one another. That's been busted in. Why do people not know the goodness of God we've been singing about? Why do people, why do people worship different kinds of gods? And why do they worship statues? And why do people think there is no God? It's like, well, because that, that vertical relationship was broken by sin and all that brokenness around us. We needed, we needed someone to step in. And, and here is where we see that happening. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Jesus brings this light to the earth, and those walking in darkness suddenly began to see and to realize their own brokenness. And the one who brings the light is also the one who brings the solution. And so what essentially happens is more and more people realize, like, wow, I've been fumbling around in the dark, and now as the light comes on, I realize the one who is the light, like, he's the one that we need. People begin to look at Jesus and say, you are, you're what we've been waiting for. You're what we've been searching for. You are, you're what we're so desperate for. Verse 6. So there, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. See, this guy John, uh, they, you know, his name was John the Baptist, and People kept thinking he was the guy with the light because he, a lot of the things he was saying was the very things that they had been searching for. And they're like, wait, we think this guy might be the guy. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not the, I'm not the one you're waiting for. He's, he's coming. Um, don't get distracted. See, John understood that his role was to point other people to the real light. And because he understood his role, uh, we can understand our role a little bit as well. In verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God." There's so much in, the, in this passage. It's just, a, it's just amazing. If you focus in on verse 11, we see something really, really important. How does God relate to those who have a broken relationship with him? If, if sin broke up that vertical connection between humanity and God, there was a, a dissonance there. How does God relate to broken humanity? It's the same question that we need to ask of how do Christians relate to people who are not Christians. It's the same thing. So what do we do? We look at the original. We look at our model. We say, what did he do? And then we're just going to do what he did. 
So what did he do? Verse 11 says, he came to his own. He showed up. Now, in one sense, that verse is talking about like when, when God showed up on the earth, that uh, you know he didn't go he didn't go to New York City. I know it wasn't there. I get it. okay, but you know what I'm saying. He didn't go to New York City or Tokyo or Beijing or any of these like real powerful places that we think of. Of like where would the where would the king of the universe just like drop into? No, he came to his own. He went to his own people. He went to God's chosen people. This random nation of Israel that had this crazy history, up and down in their faithfulness, all that kind of stuff, that God went to his own people. He said, you're, you as a nation, you're my family, so I'm going to come to you. Can we more broadly apply that when we see he came to his own? Could we, could we think of it as Jesus coming to his own people like the human race? I Perhaps so. I don't think it has to just be about him coming to Jewish people. He came to people. He left heaven and came here for us. So that relational tie is undeniable. God wanted to be with his people. That's the connection that he has. So when you think about all of humanity being in the category of being lost, of, being, of that brokenness separating them from God. What does God do? What's, what's his thing? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to dwell in their presence. I'm going to walk among them. I'm going to be literally with them. That's his bond. It says he came to his own. That God looks at humans and says, those are, those are my people. They're mine. Those are my kids. Those are my sons. Those are my daughters. They're my kinfolk. And I'm going to go. I'm going to literally be with them. And so what is, maybe if, if there were kind of two big ideas here to unpack tonight, one of them is, for us, how are we supposed to relate to people who don't know Jesus? The same way that he does. He looks at them and he's like, those are my people. We have to see all people as being his. In some ways, it's not beneficial at all to break it into those two categories like I did. In some ways, it's more healthy just to see people as being people. Now, you, whether you know the Lord or not is a very important distinction, so I'm not trying to discount that. But perhaps it's helpful for us to keep in mind that Jesus looks at them as his and if he looks at people as his, then we should look at people as ours because we are part of him. And so if you, were to, if you were to put all the people that don't know Jesus in a room and all the people who do know Jesus in a room next to him, and all the Jesus people were to say, what are we, how are we supposed to think about the people in that room? I think that Jesus would say, well, they're ours. We need to be with them. So let's, let's see if this wall, if we can get this wall out. Because we need to be with them. If he came here to earth, then we are to imitate him and to want to be with people. We can't be secluded in our, in our bubbles, you know. And you, you know that. Listen, probably nothing revelation or revolutionary about that. 
We know, we know that that's, you know, that's like we live in cities and communities. That's why we don't live in like communes somewhere. Of course, of course we need to be with people who don't know Jesus, of course. But there's a difference between like being around them and being with them. See, Jesus is with them. He had his disciples and stuff like that. And there were times when he was with, his, with the twelve only. And times when he was with a bigger group of his followers. But I love those times when Jesus kind of like disappears. And they're like, where'd Jesus go? Where'd Jesus go? It's like, oh, he's talking to that lady over there. That lady who we hate. Who's not like us. Oh yeah, he's over there talking to her. Of course he is. Because he's with them. And so I think part of the challenge in thinking about what is it, as Christians, what is, as we're walking the earth, what, is, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be more, more than just around people who don't know Jesus. We're supposed to be with them. Chances are you live around someone or go to class with someone or work with someone or related to someone or whatever, someone who does not know a single thing about the goodness and faithfulness of God we've been singing about tonight. And where's Jesus? Like, who, where is, what does his heart look like for them? He's with them. No, we need to be with them. That verse says, not only, it says, he came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Now again, we zero in on it, like you kind of focus down, and that's talking about the rejection of Jesus by the nation of Israel, by the Jewish community who said, that's not our Messiah. They did not receive him. Can we more broadly apply that as well? I think we can. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There's plenty of people who are like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't, I don't think he was really who you guys think he is. I don't think he was this. I don't think he was this. Or, more commonly, they're like, yeah, but have you seen his church? <laughs> Do you know what his church people did to me or did to my family or said to me or, or this or this or this? And that's so, isn't it just terrible? Isn't it terrible when you know something to be true and other people have a lot of reasons to reject what you have to say is true? And you're thinking, oh no, but if you could just if you could just know him this way, if you could just be a part of this of his grace and his goodness in these kinds of ways, if you could just come and be a part of this church or that church or this ministry or this thing. Or... Do you ever feel like if you could like have like ten minutes with any like celebrity in the world, you could convince them to become a Christian? I think about that sometimes. I'm like, oh no, I just give me ten minutes, you know. I like to think about like which what powerful people in the world would be just phenomenal to have like in our room? And I always just feel like so many folks have just not, they just haven't had a shot to hear the real thing. And it bums me out. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But what, is that, what does that say though? What does it say to us that God would come to the earth to be with his people, knowing full well that so many of them would say, no. I don't want anything to do with you. I think it says a a number of things. One of them being, it must be about more than results. There's got to be more to it than which of those rooms are you going to end up in. 
Could it be that God is so relational and so loving He's like, I just want to be with them. And even if they say no to me, I'm, I, I will weep over that. I will grieve that. But I'd rather be with them. Could it be that he's, that he's so holy and loving? He's like, well, that's, that's what goodness is going to look like. Is I'm going to go to them. And even if they say I don't want you, I, I tried, you know. I, I keep just feeling the need more and more to just go to the depths of realizing how interpersonal our God is. That he would come to us knowing that. But that's not the end of the chapter. Verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, so some did, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, what a verse, huh? Like, a lot of people rejected him, but faith is the pathway into the family. Faith is the way to cross from one room into the other room to those who believed in him. He gave them the right to become children of God. That should, that should bring some confidence. This is not the sermon, this is a side sermon. That should bring some confidence. Whatever you're walking in, you're not some like random person to the Lord. You're someone he came to and was with, and you looked at him and you said, yeah, I, I think you are exactly who you say you are. And he says, hey, how about you come be adopted and you take my name and you come into my family and you become about what I'm about. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. People whose entire like, family identity is now simply because God said, come on, you're mine. It's amazing. So he came... He came to us. What should our connection be with people who don't know the Lord? We've got we to be with them, not around them. We can't just see them from afar. We can't just like bump, like rub shoulders with them when we're out in different places. Like we, there's a relational presence that needs to happen. He's given you those relationships with people on purpose. It may seem really random, but it's not random. Next, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's kind of what I've been saying. Here's Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was living with the people. So that's the first thing is that he came to us. But the second thing is that he didn't, he didn't just show up. Look at what he does. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him 
known. Jesus didn't just come to us. He wasn't just with us. He came to reveal something to us. Like through Him, through His presence, through His life and His ministry, and His teaching and His sacrifice and His death and His resurrection, all of His words, all of His actions, everything was not only about coming to us, but then what, what was that going to reveal to us that we needed to know? He was revealing God to us. This complete revelation of him. Well, this is what God's like. This is what's important to God. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. This is what God is going to do. This is what his kingdom looks like. This is, what, this is who you were created to be. This is how you are broken. This is how you can be not broken. This is how you're empty. This is how you can be filled. This is how you are dead. This is how you can be alive. All those things he's revealing to people. He wasn't just with us. He was with us to reveal something. And so what is our connection with people who don't know Jesus? We should go to them and be with them in, with everything in mind, thinking, how can I reveal to these people who just don't know the goodness of Jesus yet, His goodness? How can I reveal that to them? How can I be the embodiment of everything I know to believe? I mean, everything I know to be true and everything that I believe and everything that Jesus shows us, how can I be the embodiment of that for my neighbors, my coworkers, people I'm in school with? And on and on and on and on. Last year, at some point, we, we did a family dedication service and I talked about parents revealing the Father to their kids. That their kids are supposed to grow up and they're supposed to understand who God is based on the way mom and dad parent them and treat them and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing for people who don't know Jesus. How are they going to know? Are they going to read the Bible and find out? Well, it happens a lot more than you would think. But, I mean, are they going to, are they going to watch a TV preacher and find out? Well, it happens more than you would think. And Are, are they going to this? Are they going to this? I come up with all these examples of how it can happen and does happen sometimes. But what's the overwhelming way that people know who God is? It's by us, his people, going to be with those who don't know and revealing the character and the goodness of God through the way that we interact with them. It's the embodiment of everything we know to be true. That's how it happens. That's how he designed it to happen. He has modeled that for us. And how did he do that? He was full of grace and full of truth. That's what it says in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. If you need to think in, in terms of like, okay, I, I need something practical and something tangible to think about. Your model right there, Jesus as our model, shows us, okay, well how about grace and truth? How about that, that be what you think about in terms of how you're going to relate to people? We see him doing this a number of times throughout the New Testament. We see in John chapter 8, there's a woman who, a man and a woman were caught in the act of adultery. They take the woman outside and they're going to, about to throw a bunch of stones and kill her. And they ask Jesus, what should we do? So Jesus has one of his many moments of brilliance when he says, you, whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw a rock, you know. And everyone kind of goes away and he goes to this woman and 
they have this beautiful conversation where he says, you know what? I'm not here to condemn you. I don't bring any condemnation to you. You need to walk away from this. This is not who I made you to be. You need to leave this life. He was full of grace with her. Like she didn't have to earn anything from him at all. She didn't earn that moment of rescue. She, she just got it. God helped her do, and this is a Dallas Willard thing. Dallas Willard would say that a part of how you define grace is it's God doing for us what we can't do on our own. She couldn't get out of that situation on her own. She didn't earn her way out of it. It was just the gift of God in that moment. And he also told her the truth. That, hey, I'm not about condemnation, but this is not how I made you to live. And you've got to walk away from this. We see another encounter I referenced earlier where he's talking to a Samaritan woman that, that he should not have been talking to by all the cultural norms. And they enter into this conversation. And it's a fascinating dialogue back and forth and she's really bold and he's really bold and he's very gracious just being with her in the middle of the day at this well and there's all kind of cultural stuff there he goes to her and he's with her and he's very gracious but he's constantly telling her the truth he's, he's like it's awesome he's like reading her mail totally and yet there's this, this, this precision where he's like showing us now this is how you interact with people there is this love and this favor that they don't have to try and earn. And at the same time, you love them enough to tell them what's truthfully going on. We, uh, Zacchaeus is another one. You know, he's a little short guy. And he was up in a tree to try to see Jesus come by. And Jesus says, oh, hey, I'm going to your house today. And he goes to his house. And dude was a tax collector and it cheated a bunch of people and was a very hated person. And We don't really know what that lunch looked like. But we do know that Zacchaeus went out and repaid everyone that he had cheated. Actually paid him more than he had cheated him in the first place. So something had to happen there. He was, he was gracious with Zacchaeus and going to him. But he at some point, there was some truthful exchange for that to be what Zacchaeus went and did after that. We see it with the Pharisees where he's constantly telling them the truth. We see it with the disciples where he's training them and then they mess it up. And he's training them and they mess it up. And they're not earning a bit of it at all. And he's constantly redirecting them. Even down to with Peter who goes and denies him after the resurrection, Jesus reinstates him. I mean, he's constantly showing us, hey, with people who, just, who don't know who I am, this is how you need to be. You need to go and be with them and reveal to them the character of God. It's, just, it, it's a simple mission. Sometimes I think we get intimidated by the Great Commission, you know, where Jesus is like, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity and teaching them to do everything that I've taught you. And you're like, whoa, it's a big planet. Like, there's lots of nations. Like, how in the world is that going to happen? And I don't know what to say, and I don't know this, and I don't know this, and I don't know this. All he's really asked you to do is to imitate what he's done. Go be with people who don't know him and do what he would do. Reveal his character to them. You know, so like seven or eight weeks ago, the community starts flooding and everyone's, you know, responding. And there's all these opportunities to serve people and to help people and do all this stuff. And 
we were very fortunate as a congregation to just naturally land uh, in different roles of service, especially in that like first week or two, and then it just kind of worked its way out from there. And we'd find out about people that needed help, and we'd try to get people there. And so many times, you you would have people like thanking you, know, like thanking you, and just there's just this sense of you know. Initially, it was like I don't know what I would do without y'all, that kind of thing, and. But then there was another another vibe there, especially with the the corporate, like the the church all over the region, still in there week three and week four and week five and week six. And there's this sense of like, why in the world are you people doing this? Like, what? Why would you do this for us? And it would be so easy to just be like, well, you know, we're Americans. That's what we do. We're Southerners, you know. Just good old Southern hospitality. Well, we're the Cajun Navy and Army and Air Force and Marines and all that stuff. That's just what we do. That's not why. That's not why. We do that because we are the embodiment of the fact that God cares about people. And so you go and you're with them and you're helping them and you're encouraging them and you're talking them, talking with them and you're following up later with them and you're showing them the grace and the truth of God that this flood is completely awful. And we I, I absolutely hate it. God hates the fact that the world is broken by sin and that's why Jesus came. And who's the embodiment of, of that grace and truth in the midst of tragedy? His church is. That's why we do it. That's why we're, we're, we're constantly trying to like rally like volunteers and go and try to meet needs and meet needs and meet needs. It's not because we're just like we're just nice people. No, this is like all these opportunities for the gospel to be embodied through us. And that's the same thing that happens through the relationships that God has given you with people who don't know him. Do you think about it in in those terms? Do you think about your connection with people who don't know Jesus as God saying, hey, um, you go, go be with them and reveal who I am to them. You be gracious to them because I am gracious. You, you bring hope to them because I am hope. You bring light into that darkness because I am light. You be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love because that's who I am. You be holy because I am holy. You go and you show them who I am. I'll use your efforts to, to, to remind them, to draw them, to, to give them everything possible to say yes or no to. Do you think about your relationships like that? I, I do not. I'm going to be honest with you. That's not like a regular part of how I think. But I have neighbors. I have one coworker. I'm pretty sure she's okay. I have people that I come in contact with. I have casual, casual encounters. I have complete strangers that are there. I have all these things, all these connections. And I need God's help to help me look at those the way that he does. To look at those relationships and those connections and I need God's help to get to the point where I crave interaction with them that is modeled after his interaction with them. To be with them and to reveal these things to them. I'm, I'm not burdened enough. I'm not driven enough. I don't pray for them enough. I need his help to be there, to get there. You know, we're, we're seeking God's plan about starting a church up in Zachary and 
started to meet with them on Sunday mornings and kind of do some church planting talk and stuff. And there's this, this verse in the book of Acts, right? You know, there's a verse we always talk about. Where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. But right before that, Peter delivers this amazing sermon. And all these people are standing there just completely stunned. It's like the first time they've heard the gospel before and who Jesus is. And Scripture says that they were cut to the heart. Like it, it cut them deeply. If you, if you walk with Jesus, you know what that's like. When you're like, oh man, this is him. They're cut to the heart. They look at him and they're like, what are we supposed to do? And Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of your sins. And, and there's this, this one line that says, and that promise is for you and your children and those who are far off. To everyone the Lord calls to himself. And this morning we talked about, as a church plant, how can you, how can you be equally concerned with one another as adults and your kids and those who are far off? How can those all be of equal weight for you? And as we're talking, I'm like, man, I, how can that be equal weight for me? How can that be equal weight for us as living hope? Because those things are equal weight to the Lord. So I have no idea where this connects with you. I feel like I say that every week, probably because I do. But it's true, I don't. All I know is I'm supposed to get up, say the things that the Lord's been leading me to as your pastor, and then that's yours to steward. But it excites me to think about the possibilities of us continuing to, to deepen in, in how we connect with people who don't know the Lord. At the end of that, uh, of when Peter was talking to them and said, this promise is to you and your children and those who are far off, uh, 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. And what's awesome, when, when you step back and think about it, is that, that was not Peter's goal. He was just trying to be faithful. And it was one of those days when his faithfulness led to thousands of people and the birth of the church, you know. But for us, can we just be faithful? Can we just take it seriously that, that Jesus, Jesus is the father in the prodigal son story, standing there, scanning the horizon, That's Jesus for us. We're a part of the search party. Saying, hey, you don't have to be in that room. Come into our room. Can the wall come down? Can we be with them and reveal some things to them? I think so. And you know how I, I, I believe that that's possible for us? Because every one of us were in the other room at some point. If you're a Christian, at some point you're in the other room. And if you feel like you're in the other room, you don't have to stay in the other room. Come in our room. We're about to take communion and, and sing a little bit. And uh, essentially, Jesus is standing before us, offering his body and his blood, saying, this is what it takes. This is the pathway of faith into being children of God. And so if you are a Christian, you're coming to that table, you're saying, that's exactly what I, I've needed it. I need it, and I will always need it. And so you're being reminded of ex- all that God has done and coming to us and embodying that message and if you are not a believer, then I want to invite you just to simply pray and ask God what to do in these moments. If you feel like you're supposed to t- come and take communion for the first time, 
and come and take communion for the first time, and you come find me afterwards because we need to talk about some stuff. But as we cycle through the line, as we sing these songs, maybe this whole thing about relational connection can continue to go deeper for us, and we can be reminded of what we are here to do, to know Him and be known by Him, but also to continue to bring people into the family. All right, let's stand up. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I am uh, just so humbled by, uh, by the fact that you would uh, leave heaven and come to the earth. You had every reason to just leave us on our own. But your holy love was greater and your grace is greater. And the hope that you bring us is greater. There isn't a single thing that lies beyond the reach of your gospel and the blood and the body that we celebrate. And so, would you help us in these moments to just connect a few things together, to reorder our minds or hearts or any of the things that have just kind of gotten all jumbled up by the, by the craziness that life brings. Can you reorient us? to you, and then to one another, uh, just based on what we see, and the way that you, the Father, Son, and Spirit, interact and uh, pursue us as your children. As we step to the table, Lord, we are reminded that you are simply the ones standing there offering us what we need, and in faith we step forward and we accept that and receive that joyfully and gladly. Uh, We love you deeply. We're so grateful. I ask that you'd use these next few moments uh, in whatever ways that you see fit. We love you and pray this in your good name. Amen.